Hello, and welcome to another exciting, and you guessed it, jam-packed season of Modern Day Philosophers. This is season 10. 10 is significant. It's a big round number. It feels like we've come to some point here. I don't know. 10 commandments, that's a big deal. 10 o'clock, it's getting kind of late uh, at night or in the morning. And uh, it's nearly a dozen. I don't need to explain why 10 feels like a lot to you. It just does. And we're there. And it's going to be a great season, a really great season. I guarantee it. Like the men's warehouse. You know that guy. So today is my buddy Dan Soder. I caught up with him in Scotland when we were both there doing the Edinburgh Festival. The funny thing is, little anecdote from behind the scenes of the interview, I had seen his show at the point of this interview. He had not yet seen mine, but he told me he was coming to mine. And in my show, I revealed that I was about to be a father. And I didn't want to ruin that moment for him, so I didn't tell him about it in the interview. And then he came to my show, and afterwards he was very nice, and he said, uh, I don't understand, we just did a whole interview on the podcast, uh, and we had this deep conversation and talked about fathers and stuff, and you didn't tell me you were about to be a father? I'm like, I didn't want to ruin the show for you. I didn't want you to, I want you to have the full experience as an audience member, which he laughed a lot at that. Uh, anyway, uh, you can hear Sophie in the background. That's our daughter, my daughter, my wife and I's daughter. We've got a daughter. It's crazy. It's so good. I never thought I would love it this much. In fact, I didn't even think I'd like it. But, you know, there's still interviews I haven't aired where I was really scared about it, and you'll hear them in this season. And now I can uh, talk to the younger me and maybe to you who's thinking about having a kid and tell you, go for it. The water is safe. So far, so great. I just want to shout out to two people who left nice reviews on iTunes. Most recently, December 1st, 2019, somebody named Reed Diddy wrote, Lobel for president, five stars. And I appreciate the sentiment, but I'm not getting involved in that disgusting world of politics. But uh, thank you for that endorsement. They wrote, Danny, you and Alex and all of your fantastic guests have miraculously turned what was a scary, terrible subject for me into something that is wonderful, fun, and dare I say, jam-packed with insights into so many things. Not only the guests and the philosopher and their philosophy all wrapped up in comedy, but your own journey through life. And with all the ups and downs, I so look forward to each new episode. Can't wait to hear all about the new baby and how that affects your philosophy. Love you guys. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to tell you guys all about the new baby as the season progresses. And uh, October 3rd, 2019, somebody named YMCA Janitor wrote, like everything about it, five stars, bam! I'm finding out that I'm most compelled by philosophy like this that is genuine, empathetic, and current. Philosophy requires humor, and Danny's podcast makes for time well spent, Keith. I don't know who Keith is, but he's telling this to Keith. Thank you. And uh, those are the two most recent five-star reviews. They're also the two most recent any-star reviews, which is to say, you know, we need more reviews. Please jump on iTunes and leave some five-star reviews so we are not buried in the hundreds of thousands of podcasts and never seen or heard from. Uh, make us visible, voice good things about the podcast. You can help. 
You can prevent forest fires. Okay. Let me take a moment to talk to you about Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography and creative writing to design, productivity, and more. So whether you're returning to a longtime passion project, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. I'm telling you, these classes are fantastic. I was looking at some illustration and animation classes. I looked at one called Drawing on Everything, Discovering Your Creative Voice. I recommend it. Um, there's a lot to choose from over there. And the instructors look right at the camera. They make it feel very personal. And it's important to just keep learning. You don't want to become stagnant. You don't want to be one of these people who just knows what they knows. I mean, you listen to this podcast, hopefully to open your mind to new ideas. So you're already their target demographic. Hopefully that's why they put it together to advertise on this show. You guys are learners. So learn some stuff. Check out Skillshare. It's a great platform. It's like Netflix of classes. You could just subscribe and jump around from class to class and binge class. You can binge watch classes. All right. Listen, you could be joining the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for you. My listeners get two months of Skillshare for free. You're like, what? What? Two whole months for free? In that time, I could become so skilled, Daniel Bale. I don't know why I'm talking kind of like Ralphie Mae, but uh, that sounds like a lot of skill. All right, that's right. <laughs> that's right, Jack. That's right. Skillshare is offering Modern Day Philosophers listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Unlimited access of thousands of classes for absolute free. Unbelievable, this Skillshare. To sign up, you go to Skillshare.com forward slash MDP. Again, you go to Skillshare.com slash MDP to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash MDP. All right, Dan Soder is co-host of the awesome SiriusXM show called The Bonfire with Big J Okerson, who is also hysterically funny. So if you have SiriusXM and you haven't listened to them, I encourage that you do so. Dan also has an HBO special coming out later this month, I think in a week or maybe not even, um, called Son of a Gary, uh, which was uh, the show that I saw him running in Edinburgh. I got to see it in the making. Pretty cool. And you'll get to hear all about it now, or some things about it, and much more in this fantastic interview with the one and only Dan Soder. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, except of course for the intro song, I give you my talk with Dan Soder. Enjoy. When Daniel LaBelle was in school, he didn't pay any attention. He's older and wiser, he's learning philosophy with his comedian hench people. Each of whom is a wonderful sage in their own right as well. It's modern day philosophers, and now here's Daniel LaBelle. Alright, Dan Soder. Hey, buddy. Welcome to the show, thank you for being here. Yeah, it was a lovely walk here. Yeah. Uh, it's probably I, one of the loveliest walks I've ever had to a podcast. Loveliest. I, is that... You know, because we're in in uh, the UK, mm -hmm. the word "lovely" creeps in a lot more. It does. I I there was this guy. There's this guy that I genuinely dislike. 
Uh-huh. He's a friend of a friend. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the most mature decisions I've ever made in my life is like, I don't like that guy. <laughs> like, I was just like, because I, I mean, you know, as a comedian, we have a basic need to be liked. Right. And sometimes that lets us put up a shit, put up a shit from other people. And so there was a guy that I tried to be, I tried to be friendly with him. Uh-huh. I tried to joke around with him. And he was just such a cunt that eventually I was like, I don't like this guy. But he moved to England. And when I was still trying to be decent with him, he came back from my friend's wedding uh-huh. and he kept using little UK phrases. <laughs> and I was like, this guy fucking sucks. <laughs> but now I'm doing it and I'm like, oh. But you're regional, you know, you're in yeah. the place. I don't think I'm going to say lovely. And I'm by thinking. the way, the only way I can describe the walk through the meadows is lovely. fucking it's, lovely. It is lovely. <laughs> It's a lovely walk. I, like, like, I love the juxtaposition. Lovely. It's like a, a Brooklyn guy trying to, trying to. It's fucking lovely. This is fucking touching, bro. Um, <laughs> but it would. It's like uh, I understand why he uses those little phrases because right. they use different phrases here, and you start to you know yeah. get used to it and yeah. after a month. You're you get, supposed to adjust. Like you don't keep using the same electricity when you get mm-hmm. home either, right? I don't use. Uh, I I haven't said roommate. Let, let me get you to move your mic up a little bit. Sorry. It's all good. About, oh, it there it is. Hang like that. Now you're ready to fully thrive. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're looking in the back and you're saying, Dan, how did you get there? And I hustled and I grinded. I'm telling you. <laughs> that's what these mics make me feel like. I'm telling you right now, you all have the capabilities to live your dreams. These are little, for those listening. These are yeah. just little mics that go over your ear, like yeah, uh, like, yeah. like a TED talk, like yeah. an inspirational jack off. Um, <laughs> but there was, uh, I haven't said roommate since July, right? Flatmate, I said right? Flatmate, and I'll tell you this: it feels deliciously comfortable. Don't bring it back with you. Oh man. hell no! <laughs> you think I'm gonna call Mike Vecchione my flatmate? Do you live with Mike? Yeah, we've lived oh. together for eight and a half years. Wow, I love him. Tell yeah. him I say hi. I absolutely will. Oh man, so so, you know, I remember, I remember meeting a young, starry-eyed dancer, yeah, soder old pie-eyed soder at uh, Stand Up New York, and yeah. it, what were you? You were working at a radio station. I worked at K Rock. At so K Rock. When I moved to New York, uh-huh. I didn't know anybody. Uh-huh. I knew I didn't know any comedians because I started in Tucson. That's a that's, wow. that's a desolate planet to start comedy on. Yeah, even Phoenix looks down on you. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you start in Tucson, and people in Phoenix are like, "Oh, it's nice." But they've what got was, that big telescope. They're proud of. Yeah, they do. U of yeah. A has got one of the top astronomy. Astro- astronomy departments I yeah think. is that how you say that word or astrology i was fuck up the two i'm pretty dumb they let you know it yeah. oh they definitely yeah. let you know it um <laughs> but it was one of those things where i think it was a perfect place to just start let me see yeah, i yeah. think this is the publicist hello okay I-, I gotta go i'm doing a show i'll talk to you in a bit okay Danny, I've just been telling you that you're the number one man in Scotland. <laughs> this is me. This is Rob Chortle. <laughs> Rob Chortle. I'm telling Connell what you know. Dude, we went to the castle. I know this is such a sidebar, but I don't know where I'll ever do it. But we went, Sean Patton, yeah. Becky Aspen, uh, Caitlin Cook, and I went to the castle. Uh-huh. And I was looking at the panels, but for some reason I started doing uh, Bill Wallace, which was Bill Burr as, as William Wallace. <laughs> 
And he's going, no, I'm saying, why can't we have our independence? That's all I'm saying. Robert the Bruce, you're fucking making truce with Richard III. He's going to fuck you over. Everyone knows he's going to fuck you. Your son is seven. He's not fit to be a king. And I was just doing that, and I was so dumb, and I didn't know how disrespected the Scottish people felt. But that was the time where I was like, man, I think I'm being an obnoxious American right now. Uh, you got to do it. But it was killing with Sean and, yeah. and Caitlin and Becky, so I was like, got to do it. Yeah. I don't like cow. What's it called? Cowtowing or something? To, yeah. To, to people's opinion of Americans. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You see that a lot in this festival. Yeah. You see a lot of Americans that really flip. Apologetic. Of yeah, big yeah, American. yeah. I almost am kind of like impressed some with some things of how American I am. Right. Like, I didn't realize I was that American. Like what? Like what? Uh, the, the um, I always kind of criticized the uh, impatience of Americans uh, at restaurants because I was a waiter for so long. And then I realized like, oh, American waiters are very efficient. Right, We're right. very efficient. Like here, mm-hmm. they're fun. They're way more fun here. They're like livelier. The, the wait staff, like I'll talk to you. You have right. real interaction. But they're not as efficient. So it's like you give that up. Right. And I was like, man, I didn't realize I was that American where I was like, where is my salad? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, fuck, that's me, man. Oh, God. I did it with um, one of the food trucks over by... Um, over in Bistro Square. <laughs> Bistro Square. Bristow. Bristow Square. Yeah. However you say it. I didn't read that. Yeah, properly. it's all right. There's a food truck. Yeah. But they were taking forever and I did like the, is my is mine coming up? And right. Like, yeah. It's 200 years away. <laughs> Fuck, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Fuck, I'm that guy. Yeah. But I'm not going around like, sorry. Right, right. Don't, sorry. don't get too apologetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You, you can be uh, rational with how you're apologetic. So I want to go back uh, to, you said Tucson was the perfect place to start out. Yeah, it was just a really good place to start because I got to fail silently. I just got to like be shitty Uh quietly and like go do these casino gigs and just bomb and just really like, um, it's like a, it's like boot camp. It was kind of like a thing where it was like, do you really want to do this? Yeah. And then it was like, yeah, I do. And after two years, Scotty Goff, who owned Laughs, uh-huh. was really good to me and, and, and let me MC, and then started letting me co-feature. And he'd book me at like the Honda Casino opening for comics. Uh-huh. And he usually let me open for guys that I wanted to work with, like uh, Troy like- Baxley and Ben Creed uh-huh. and other comics that I really liked. Because Tucson, if you can believe this or not, not a big market for great comedy. I can believe so it. if the big if a big comic was there, they were usually at the Rialto uh-huh. or the theater, or yeah. they were doing like Ava Amphitheater, which is like a big casino out there. So if you were working at Laughs, you were working a headliner that might have been good in the eighties, uh-huh. maybe in the nineties. Right. You know, right, right. most best case scenario, you were working with a genius alcoholic or a genius drug addict. <laughs> and that was what I always wanted to work with. Yeah. These guys that I was like, oh, these guys are really funny. And holy fuck, there is a dark side to this. Yeah. Because, you know, like, you know, John Fox, the infamous. I, com- I know of him. I know of him. I know yeah. of him, too. We right. all know of him. Right. We all know that do not. That's like a that's like a, a spooky story in, in comedy. It's like, don't do that. Do you, want to, do you want to tell the listeners? Because they don't know. He's a comedian that was uh, wildly successful in the 80s. He got put on Dangerfield's show. He, uh, I think he definitely probably got sitcom development deals. Mm-hmm. He was he was a big headliner, and he just drank himself and he drank himself to death. To death, yeah. Yeah, and he just kind of became like, but he went all the way up and he went all the way down. I'd say maybe 70%, maybe more are cautionary tales in comedy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, maybe yeah, 80% yeah. of comedians. Maybe 90%. 90%. 90%. <laughs> it's so funny because I was, I was at the cellar like... 
I want to say a year ago, and some of the older guys were like, your guys' generation's weak. Yeah. Where's all your me too's? And yeah. I was like, they were doing it as a joke. Right, right. And I was saying like, yo, we learned not to sexually harass the wait staff the way you guys learn not to do blow uh-huh. from the fucking comics before you. Yeah. It's just like how they learn not to do wow. heroin. You what, know what, what I mean? What a like, good answer. Yeah, but like you just look at each generation, you're like, well, I ain't doing that shit. Right. I ain't fucking doing that. We I'm only not. take it one notch down. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I'm not saying we're a mass improvement. I'm just saying we just kind of adjust on the fly. That's, that's great that you got to have that private bubble to start in Tucson. I know that one of the things that well, I believe hurt me was that I... I'm from New York. I started in New York that's, and everybody saw me develop, you know? That's one of the things that I don't think anyone that's from New York City gets enough credit for, which mm-hmm. is you're starting like, uh, you're like, you're basically starting in the NFL. They're just like, all right, now play in the NFL. And you're like, right. I am a child. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I was always a little envious of people that had somewhere else that they got to start. I think uh, something that I saw who started in from New York is from New York's Pete Davidson. I watched him do a smart thing and he came up under Soul Joel. So Soul Joel, Joel Richardson was like booking him in like these rooms in Pennsylvania and Connecticut. Uh. And he was a teenager. So he's just failing and learning. And then Bob Levy took him on the road because he met him at a Soul Joel gig. And so he was kind of able to get out right. of the city. And right. that's valuable. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't have any smarts. <laughs> yeah. No, but <laughs> I what I always respected about you was like, you were a guy that was clearly there because you're a funny dude. And you love comedy, and you were you were just like a guy that I was never. Uh, I was like, yeah, Danny's a comic. Just because I, I think there's people you meet and you're like, what? Why are you here? Yeah. Why are you here? What do yeah. you What do you really want? Right. I don't think you want this. One time I was one of the early times we met was when I was barking at the Comedy Village uh-huh. on Monday nights, and I met this guy, and I'll never forget. He was like. Yeah, I just want, like, just give me the TV show. Uh-huh. Like, I don't want to do this. And I was like, oh, you're done. And I think within, like, a month, he wasn't in New York. <laughs> but you're like, oh, you're fucking done, dude. Yeah. Like, stand-up was the only thing I ever wanted to do. The whole reason I moved to New York was because I watched the movie Comedian. And I also loved Tough Crowd, Opie and Anthony. Yeah. Those were my guys. Like, those were the guys where I would download it illegally yeah. on Kazam, Kazaa, or Morpheus. <laughs> And I would listen to uh-huh. O&A. Uh-huh. And like Bill Burr and Patrice were the guys that I was like, who are these guys? Right. And then Bill Burr used to have a blog on MySpace. And I remember he had this blog about like hot girls <laughs> just say they like to keep it real. And it was just so funny. He's like, all oh, these fucking dumb bimbo rizzes. <laughs> and it was such a Bill Burr. But I just remember kind of gravitating. To that. And I lived in Tucson. And people were like, oh, you're going to move to LA. And I was like, no, I don't. Right. I don't know anything about the LA scene. I'm obsessed with the New York scene. So I moved to New York and that was kind of like, all I wanted to do was be a comic in New York. Uh That's really all I cared about. And that was just cool. You know, it sucks when you're barking, but if you could also have that moment of like, this is pretty fucking cool. So I was barking with you at the comedy? No, no, no. You were just hanging out. You were on the show. Okay. You and I would just talk. Yeah. But I would be at the front door, but that's how I met a lot of comics. We would just be sitting on the... Because I found if you sat on the stool in front of the comedy village and barked, it didn't look as pathetic. Right. As standing on the corner. You're, like, you're almost flyers. part of it. Yeah. You're almost like <laughs> blending into it. You know what I mean? <laughs> the closer you are to the actual show. Yeah. It was like my ego learned how to blunt the trauma. Right. Where it was kind of like, I just sat on the stool and it was, it was you're kind of like, oh, this guy's either really comfortable or a low level guy. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. It's right. It's either one right. or the other. It's yeah. either like... Hey, I'm just sitting on this. I'm grabbing the stool from outside because I'm a regular. <laughs> or it's like, I need to do this to get seven minutes on stage at 
two thirty in the morning. Please let me fucking please come in. <laughs> Such a funny observation. <laughs> but it was great, and I loved that. Yeah. And I got real close with Joe List mm-hmm. and Dan Bolger and uh, Ira Proctor was living down in New York at the time, and it was just kind of like fun to see who you gravitate to towards, and then start going around New York with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I always liked you. I still like you. But, uh, oh, there's a like, real turn yeah. back in 07. As soon as I met you, I just was like, you just you came in with such great energy and you're just oh, a friendly, thanks. kind, nice yeah. guy. Uh, you never had any kind of ego about you or anything that was like off-putting, you know? And, yeah. Uh, I never, uh, I never, I don't know. I think it's because I have low self-esteem, but it's also, I think uh, the guys with, the heavy egos that I noticed came in, it was always like, well, there's no way your jokes are going to back this up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Comedy is the most humbling thing in the world. And yeah. Even most like, even the way like uh, I've seen big comics talk. I just listened to the um, Conan O'Brien, Howard Stern interview on mm-hmm. Co- Conan's podcast. And that just um, validated a lot of ways that I feel where they were both like, kind of like, I can't watch my own stuff. I suck. And you, you talk to right. any comic and that's what I always loved about comedy is when you find out we all have those things where it's like, do you watch your set? And you're like, I can't watch my set. I fucking hate watching my it's set. It's painful. Yeah. And, and, and the people that are like, you want to watch my set? You're kind of like, what? Mm-hmm. There's just almost this like disconnect. Yeah. There's like a yeah. piece of your DNA missing. <clears throat> if you're, if you're not. So it was something where I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I would have survived having a big ego in New York. Right. I think I kind of knew, like, I've seen people come in and be like, this city owes me a career. And you're like, later, dude. Well, not to name anybody, but I know that there were people that, that came in that way. And then they did either disappear or humble. But Yeah. But um, there's not, there's not, it's yeah. either or. You either right. disappear or you get humbled. Right. You don't break New York City. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? You don't yeah. come, New York City doesn't bend to your ego. It's right. like, fuck you. And I think a lot of guys that are miserable yeah. haven't let go of that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I, people, I think they come in and they try well, to bend it like, oh, this city's going to bend to me. And you're like, no, dude, you got to. It's not just that. I think it's, you know, I think a lot of depression really comes out of uh, a false sense of expectation that's not being met, right? True. So, like, uh, you, you have some idea of where your life is supposed to be in your head. Yeah. And then when you see where your life is, you feel like you're, you've are you been robbed. Yeah, well, it almost feels like you, you're lagging or there's, there's like, a separation of, like, what should be and, and what, what is. is. Right. And then what you kind of have to do is learn to find the appreciation in, one, in what is and you notice that gap to what's supposed to be closes. Right. I, that's what I had to do that. I used to suffer from really bad depression and... So I'm speaking from personal experience yeah. and where I started building appreciation uh, that th- I was, I, yeah. you, you can't go wrong. The more you appreciate things in life, the better life is. And I'm talking about the smallest things possible. It's just the smallest things possible that I really try to be like, man, this is great. If something bad happens, if I'm in uncomfortable pain, mm-hmm. not the entire, I'm not a psycho, not the entire thought process, but one of the thoughts I'll have is like, Let's say my foot hurts. And I'm like, man, my foot hurts. You know what? There's going to be a time later in my life where my foot isn't going to hurt like this. Mm -hmm. And and I'm going to thank the universe for it not hurting anymore. Right. So just know that's coming. I was just telling a buddy of mine about one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes was with this mobster dies and he goes to heaven and he... Have you seen this? No. 
and 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 he gets every beautiful girl he, he says hello to her she's on his lap you know yeah, and yeah. he goes to the casino and every time he's royal flush you yeah. know and he goes out to dinner and he always gets the biggest steak yeah and the next day the same thing and the next day the same and he starts to become disappointed because he's never losing he's never striking out he can never uh not get the best and then he realizes he's in hell because there's no, there's no there's, strife. There's, there's no strife to overcome. No adversity. Yeah. You're in hell. And I think that's why a lot of rich kids uh, wind up dying of drug overdoses. It's a hell of sorts. It's 100% a gilded cage, which like it's um, I just recently, you know, I'm 36 and I just read Alan Watts, uh, the book on the taboo of knowing yourself. Oh, I haven't read that. Okay. It's, it's a great, great book. But that's one thing that he that he wrote, wrote about that I really really liked and and keep thinking about is that life isn't just uh, positive or negative that it's all connected. So it's like the dip in the wave is the reason there's the crest in the wave, mm-hmm. and it's like that's what life is. And it's like um, I went through a, a, a part of my teenage years where I just thought I was being punished for being alive. My the people I loved the most were dying. Uh, I was alone. I was truly alone. I felt worthless. I just felt... Are you an only child? Yeah. Well, I have a half-sister from my dad's first marriage. And then my dad died when I was 14. And my sister was killed in a car accident when I was 16. Oh, my God. And just the people that... My mom was in a really toxic relationship with my dad's former best friend and my godfather. And I kind of was... Um, you know, my mom's my mom's uh, taken responsibility for that time period. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think we have a good relationship. Yeah. But... There was just this moment where I just remember being like, what did I do to deserve all this? And then I'm so glad that I went through that because I think there was just these moments of that's when I started to learn how to appreciate just making my friends laugh or just, you know, kind of being away from that situation. Whenever I was away from that situation, it felt like, Oh, I love this. Like I would sleep. It, it, this is what's crazy is uh, I'm wearing a San Francisco 49ers hat. Mm-hmm. My, my family, my dad's family is from the Bay Area. So I'm a, a massive San Francisco 49ers fan my whole life. But I grew up in Denver. I grew up in Aurora, Colorado. And my best friend during that time, at the beginning of that time period, my best friend, I would sleep at his house every weekend because I just hated going home. So I would pack a bag and then Friday at school, I would go to his house. And then Sunday night, my mom would pick me up and I'd go home. So it was basically every weekend for two years, close to two years. In that time period, him and I were just funny. We just fucked around. We just kind of talked about our dreams, about what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And he was obsessed with the NFL. He was just obsessed with football. Uh, he was a short, he was short, but he was really good at football, but he was short. Yeah. And, and short receivers, he was a wide receiver. You just can't. But he worked his ass off. And and it, we we weren't as good as friends in high school. We kind of drifted apart. He's currently the offensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. Wow. Like, he it calls the plays for my favorite football team. And he loves comedy. And he's blown away that I'm a comedian. Wow. And, and it's just kind of like, I wish kids were told more realistic versions of their dreams than what they're told. Like, this Gary V and this, like, Instagram motivator shit, it's like... I don't know anything about it, but... There's just a lot of people. And Gary V is a successful businessman, but there's just, like, a lot of people online that are like do you have a dream that's kind of the thing i was mocking <laughs> yeah. like, they get your hustle on get yeah. grinding it's like no you should tell kids like you're gonna fail and it's gonna hurt <laughs> it's true. and it's gonna suck yeah but if you love what you're doing and you can learn to appreciate 
every little t- all this fails and all this falls and the slips. Yeah. And like whenever I fall in New York, which happens a lot, you know that growing up there. Yeah. You, when you're walking up a subway step, sometimes your foot slips. Right. And you spill your coffee. Yeah. I always laugh. I don't think I've ever gotten mad because I'm just like someone watched me fall and uh-huh. that probably made them laugh. But if you can learn how to like laugh at the slips, right? Then I think the journey's easier. You might not get the fucking three picture deal in the fucking billboards, but do you really want that? Or do you want to just be have fun, be around people you respect, and make fun stuff? Yeah. Dude, the greatest part of my job is I get to make fun stuff. I get to do the bonfire with Big J, who's arguably the funniest human being on the planet. I get to do stand-up. Yeah. And then I got lucky and I got on billions. So it's like, there is luck in this game. And there's like a lot of shit. But if you took all that away from me and I was just able to do stand-up, I would be just as appreciative. But it's also your attitude that I think pushes you forward. Like, you know, well, going back to what I was saying, uh, when I started out, I was emotionally, mentally a mess. Yeah. And I was emotionally mentally a mess in front of everybody who mattered sure i literally grew up i started when right right before my 16th birthday i grew up in front of these people that's crazy they watched me grow up they watched me grow up and and nobody was watching me going well let's i soon he's gonna mature into quite a man you know nobody was like uh giving me any benefit of the doubt they're just like like, oh i don't like this guy for life now you know so uh there's some of that was there a moment where you found that you recognize that? Like, was there a moment of self-realization where you're like, oh, fuck, people are watching me have my slip-ups. Maybe I need to be more private about these. Um, I can't point to a moment, but I do remember I went on WTF a few a years ago, and Mark and I have always been great. And yeah. um, and he said, he, he said to me, you know, you grew up in this. Like, yeah. I've known you since you were a little boy. Yeah. And and when I left, I, I was like, oh, shoot, everybody's known me since I was a little boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Do you think moving to L.A. helped? Because Yes, because nobody knew me, and it was such a nice, fresh start, and, yes. and I was able to make a great impression of who I am now. That is um, one of the benefits of something that I've noticed being an American comedian. We have two large cities. Like in the U.K., they have London. Mm-hmm. So if you go to London and you fuck that up, you're done. You're done. Yeah. But here there is this moment of like, okay, I've seen people go to LA who are actually from New York and th- and fucking thrive because it's like, yeah, you guys need, you know what I mean? Yeah. You kind of need that. People from LA need to go to New York and people from New York need to go to LA because it is a way to change. When I moved to New York, it toughened me up in a way where I think you just get that naturally from growing up there. Yeah. You're just kind of like leery of people. And I'm from Colorado where we're just like, hello, <laughs> hi, you know, and, then, and we move slow. And then you go to New York and you're like, fucking, whoa, whoa, whoa. And my what? mom noticed it within a year of me living there. She's like, you. why do you say yeah, yeah, yeah all the time? And I was like, I, I don't, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. She's like, when I'm explaining something, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and you're like, oh yeah, you don't notice New Yorkers just say that. When you live in New York, you just... And it's like we were talking about saying flat. Right. You just pick up that thing where you're like, okay, I'm going to go there. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you just say it naturally. And you're like, oh, fuck. I didn't know I said that. Yeah. I didn't even realize I say that. Yeah, I know. It's one of the things my mom said. I was like, I don't fuck. Oh, fuck. I do say that a lot. I say it a lot. Um, but it is, a, I think it's a thing of getting out of your element. And in, in, in comedy is a thing, luckily, that you can throw yourself into. Whereas like acting, sure, I think there's like workshops and you can do small plays and you can do a lot of auditions, but comedy, you can go do it every night. Yeah. It's it's a buffet 
of pain. <laughs> he was like, how many scoops do you want? Right. You know, yeah. you want to go do that mic at 1130? Well, might not be fucking, I don't think that's chicken. <laughs> what made you move from Colorado to Tucson? I wanted to get out of Colorado. I had a feeling that I kind of um, have always been aware of my own laziness. I kind of where my laziness lies. That's why I don't think I'd do well in L.A. I think if I had a house in L.A. and like a nice backyard and a dog. Oh, I, lens it. I have a nice house in a backyard and a dog. Sounds so. It's Two just, dogs. Oh, man. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. I'm so fucking jealous. Oh, my gosh. I, I got all the. As soon as I got there, I, I got all the lazy accoutrements. I got the hammock. Uh, hammock was big. Come but on. you know what? You don't use it much. When you have a hammock, you just have a security that you know you could always be in a hammock. But so you're is. never in a hammock. Yeah, it's like an ankle gun of comfort. It's just always <laughs> there. You're like, I always got this comfort right here. I know myself. Yeah. Something that helps me in New York is I love my couch. Uh-huh. And that's really it. Yeah. Like, I'm pining to get back to New York to lay on my couch and go get food in Astoria and uh-huh. watch the new Chappelle special. Yeah. It's like coming out. The night before I leave. It's coming out the 26th. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'll get I saw back the to, trailer yesterday. Yeah, with Morgan Freeman. So yeah. I'll get back and get an Andrew and Frank sandwich and fucking sit at my table in Queens and be like, all right, I'm home. But the reason I wanted to leave Colorado was because I was like, if I go to CSU or if I go to a semester of community college in the University of Colorado, mm-hmm. I won't ever leave. I'll be comfortable here. Colorado is very comfortable. It's a great place to live. It's just like I would, I would probably end up seeing my mom, you know, getting a job at a radio station because I wanted to work in radio. I want to do comedy, but I didn't have the balls to pull the trigger. Uh-huh. And I think if I would have stayed in Colorado, I wouldn't have been uncomfortable. And being uncomfortable is what led me to do the thing that I wanted to do, which is when I moved to Arizona, I thought it was going to be warm Colorado. That was going to be hot Colorado. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was a lot of kids from Long Island, a lot of kids from San Diego with a lot of money. Didn't want to do house parties. They wanted to go to the bar. They wanted to drink vodka and soda and do coke. And I had enough money for like an eighteen pack of ice house and a half a half a half eighth of weed. Like that's the money I had. Yeah. And I was looking for an apartment to drink at. And these kids were like, "No, we're going to the bar." And you're like, I, I can't. Yeah. I couldn't even get in there. Also, this I was probably dressed the same way I am yeah. right now. Yeah. But that doing that made me be like, "Fuck Tucson. I hate Arizona. This sucks." Yeah. And then I just, I, I started doing the, I worked at the college radio station. I got a job at KFMA and then started doing open mics. And it was just like, that just led me to when I finally wound up at laughs. I was like, oh, this is where I want to hang out. Yeah. I love these people. I love the staff. I love the comics. I love the conversations we're having. I can, I was always such a big comedy fan that like you felt nerdy talking about it, which is weird because talking about comedy with comics, it's just what we do. It's what we do. Right. And then I found out an extra bonus. I could talk wrestling with most other comics. Right. Not- I found out this big overlap of people that love professional wrestling. And I was like, the two things I love, you guys are all into it. This is fucking great. We don't have that one. Yeah, I, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when you do it is, it is, it's more common than not that yeah. people are like, I know a lot of professional you, you, wrestlers you, you, that love, I mean, professional comedians that love wrestling. I figured out why anyway, I think. Yeah. Because uh, I had, uh, you know, Colt Cabana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did a show two nights ago. He's here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had him on the show, and uh, we talked a little bit, and I said, I really don't know anything about wrestling. And afterwards, I thought about it. And why is there this parallel? Why is there this connection? Because I, it started to occur to me, so many comedians 
I've seen wearing wrestling shirts mm-hmm. and it's kind of like one of those things that it's like there, but you don't notice it. And then sure. you're like, Oh wait, then you see it it's, on, it's, yeah. it's, it's been there the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's because comics and wrestlers develop these larger than life personas. Sure. And there's that commonality of like a wrestler and a comic becomes the, the personification of this thing that you love. Right. Sure. Like, uh, any, great comedian that you can think of is is like an exaggerated version of whatever their type of person is oh, right 100 and there there is this weird thing where like i think people think non-comedians think you're gonna be uh, not all non-comedians but i think a lot of audience members think you're gonna be that person on stage off stage on stage and you're like that's that takes energy yeah that's draining <laughs> i'm quiet now yeah i want to talk we can still have fun Maybe there there'll be moments where I light up and I want to be fun, right? But like, you no, know, that that that's that's not the, the what you were saying about kind of embellished versions is. I try to explain that my mom is really cool about that. Like when I do a joke, mm-hmm. if she's involved in the joke, she's fine with the embellishments because she's like, I get how comedy kind of works, and I've always felt bad for people who are comedians that whose parents don't get it. Mm-hmm. I always feel like that's got to be a much harder climb. When your parents are like, what are you doing? What, what are you, a comedian? Yeah. You're trying to be funny? Like, my mom was, it was just her and I my whole life. So there was this moment where she was just kind of like, is that what you want to do? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, then fucking do it, dude. Wow. You like, just became buddies because you were yeah. like the, the only two survivors. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of like she looked around and was like, there was this moment of we're in the foxhole and she just fucking shuffles up a cigarette. She's like. We're at war now, buddy. <laughs> you know, like how'd you get through that tough period you were talking about earlier, where you felt completely abandoned and everybody died around you? Uh, that sounds like it was my imagination. A- I mean, not like a not in that fucking shitty Steve Carell movie way, but in the way of like <laughs> loved. You know, I I loved comedy and I loved uh, I loved pro wrestling and I loved football and I just like kind of would put my mind on that. And, and I, I don't think I did deal with that shit for a long time. And I think I got really into substances and started smoking weed. I, you know, smoking weed really early. And I started drinking real early and then drank real hard until I was 29. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think once I got into therapy around 28, it was like, it was uh, monumental. I think monumental in my life and, and proof that I, I'll need therapy the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. Cause you get in and you're like, Oh fuck! It's just someone else being like, "How hurt are you?" Like you don't realize you have all these arrows in your back, and someone's like, "Dude, you're bleeding out!" And you're like, "No, I'm just my hands are cold." And they're like, "No, you're bleeding out." Yeah. You're like, "Oh god, uh, oh god, how are you back then?" They're like, "About 12. And you're like, "Fuck!" Yeah, and that's what it's, what it's been like for me for the past seven years. It's just like I think I'm in a better place. I think I've had relationships that I wouldn't have been able to have before. Yeah, and I'm still working on it. Yeah, I've come so far and I couldn't have done it without therapy. There's yeah. no there's no possible way. But I kind of think of it's almost like an emotional toilet now. Like I just go in, I'm like, here's all my emotions, take them, and I'm out. I, I always yeah. say it's like, uh, it feels like you're going to the brain gym. Like when you go, brain like, gym. like when you go to the gym, sometimes you're just like, fuck this. This is stupid. And uh-huh. I don't, and then like, you'll end up leaving the gym and being like, I feel fucking amazing. I ran and I lifted weights and I feel fucking like yeah. my body's better. And it's like, I, I, I've noticed the similarity with therapy where I'm like, I don't want to fucking go to the upper West side yeah. at nine 30 in the morning on a Tuesday. I want to sleep yeah. in a little bit. It's raining. And then I go and I'm like, Oh, 
I'm afraid to be emotionally vulnerable because I'm afraid people right. are going to die. Didn't realize that. I, I got into religion a few years ago. Okay. And I started finding therapy, gym, prayer, same exact thing. You never yeah. want to do it. Afterwards, you feel so calm. Yeah. You feel so good. And there is like, I got into meditating. Yeah. And, and meditating was always a thing where I made fun of people where I'm like, I nap. Like Joe List has that great joke where he's like, right. I don't meditate. I, you know, he has like basically that joke, but I was always thought that was like, oh, that's so accurate. That's how I feel. I don't need to meditate. And I started meditating and being like, holy shit. Yeah. It just makes you sit with your thoughts and breathing. Prayer is the same thing yes, as meditation. It's, exactly. It's really I tried to argue that with someone recently and they were like, no, that's not true. And I was like, no, prayer is meditation. It is meditation. It's for, it's, it's meditation for people that are in that religion. It's it's meditation with community. Sure. And I guess there's probably a meditation community too. But, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I think there is. But, you know, for me, uh, I think what's the most important for me is learning how to be comfortable by myself. Because like we talked about growing up, I was so uncomfortable by myself. Yeah. And so then I think that makes it harder for me to have a partner because I'm not, I can't sit by myself and just be. You think you, you, you put too much on them? I think I want to get away. I think I crave loneliness, but it's an unhealthy loneliness. It's like... Is there a healthy loneliness? Yeah, I think there is. I think I think people who can appreciate themselves on a certain level can be good partners because they, they don't rely too much on that partner. They don't put too much weight on that partner. Mm-hmm. You know, if the partner moves, they don't fall down. They're just like... I see. You I can see stand up on your own. And I think I was incapable. I think I had no leg muscles. Yeah. From my childhood, I just couldn't stand up on my own. And I think I'm learning how to stand up on my own and, and be my own person and kind of be like, well, I don't want a partner that makes me feel like that. I want a partner that makes me feel like this. And yeah. There's just a lot of that. I, I You want to get married? Yeah, I would love to get married. I'd love to get married and I'd love to have a family. I think yeah. that's something that I've always wanted. And I think it's something that I tried to act when I was more of the persona of being a comedian. You know, like even yeah. now in my, in my hour, I do say like, I don't know because I... I think as a man, it's pretty arrogant to be like, I'm going to have a family. It's like, I don't know. Maybe I will. Yeah. I think sometimes I would. And sometimes I think I wouldn't. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe I should just keep my money and and, and not spend it on a, two other humans. Uh-huh. But then I'm like, oh, that's the crazy lonely me. Yeah. Because then it doesn't feed. You need. Well, what do you need the money for? That's what I came yeah, to exactly. with. It's like. You don't. What's more? What, what money is supposed to buy? What? Happiness? Well, also, I've never, thank God, put a lot of. Um, weight or um, once I could pay my bills off comedy I kind of learned how to live at that level yeah that level right above that where it's like I, I I'm lucky enough to have four jobs where I just don't even pay attention to it I just go and I do the job and I live in the same apartment that I've lived in for 13 years yeah I have a roommate you know I live like very modestly yeah just because it's like I don't need you see comics do that. And I know you've seen comics do that. They get a little bit of money and then all of a sudden they're like buying places and doing crazy shit where you're like, dude, what are you doing? You got a half hour special. Why the fuck are you spending that kind of money? I never understood that. But it is something that I've realized is I always thought being a great comedian would solve my problems. And I've realized that, and my therapist said it. He's like, if you, who's, who are you there to go home to? Yeah. Like, who are you there to share it with, is what he said. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, I'm lonely. Fuck, I'm lonely. 
No, I mean, uh, I was, you, you brought up just in passing the comedian persona, which I, I, I like that you brought that up because I, I think that's something that not enough people talk about moving away from in comedy. Mm-hmm. I know most of my listeners aren't comedians, but I think it's still interesting to hear about. I think there's this idea, and it probably applies to anything that you're mm-hmm. in, that you're a comedian, therefore, this is how you think. Yes. This is what you and like when I brought up like getting into religion, I was reluctant. I'm like, that's not what a comedian does. Sure, you know when I got when I went to get uh, married, I was like, that's not what a comedian does. Yeah. And there's this idea, and it's and it's a group think that you have to break out of, otherwise you get sucked into a void of nonsense. Yeah, uh, I always think about um, I always think about the great 49er Jerry Rice, and when I was growing up, Jerry Rice is I mean he's arguably the greatest. NFL football player of all time. Mm-hmm. And he took ballet and people were like, what? A football player taking ballet? <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, because he needed that to learn how to work his feet in yeah. order to stay in bounds. So, so it's like, it's smart. Yeah. And I think, I think therapy used to be looked down upon in comedians because we we're always supposed to be dark. Right. And we we're supposed to be broken. And that's what yeah. makes funny. And then you can't be in love because mm-hmm. you're supposed to be miserable. Mm-hmm. And then you realize the one of the oldest tropes in stand-up is like, so I'm single. Yeah. And I hate saying that. Yeah. Because it's like, but I attempt, that's where I, that's, but you do have to establish where you're, like where your opinion's coming from in these jokes. But saying that, you're like, ah, fuck, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's, it's sort of the, um, it's in the comedian social consciousness to uh to not improve yeah in the zeitgeist yeah it's it's don't improve embrace your problem joke about your problem and don't do too well yeah because if you do too well everyone's gonna hate you yeah and you're kind of like what i'm not so i'm not allowed to have so if i have this great thing i'm not mm-hmm. allowed to enjoy it because other comedians don't have this great thing and i, I fell into that trap i fell into that trap hard mm-hmm. where I, I found myself not enjoying things that i really should be enjoying because like i remember i got a second conan and the second time I was doing Conan, one of my friends couldn't get a late night. Mm-hmm. So I felt bad that I was getting a second Conan. And you're like, that has nothing to do with him. Yeah. And that completely takes away from me enjoying being on my one of my favorite mm-hmm. comedians of all time TV shows. Right, right. Just because this guy didn't get it? Okay. But that's my problem. That's not his problem. I need to learn with how to be comfortable accepting the thing that I have yeah. and not worry about him. Yeah. You're putting that guilt on yourself. But I think I think it is also coming from... It's coming from that zeitgeist of, in the comedy world. Like, this is if you're if you're a comedian, you're this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And if you're that, well, maybe you're an actor, or maybe you're this, or maybe you know. And, you, and know. you know what? Something that I've had a hard time dealing with is I've been very lucky to be on the show Billions. I've been very very lucky to be on that show. And um, when people are like, "Oh, so you're an actor now?" and you're like, "Why?" I do. If we did a if we did a pie chart of how much time I spend yeah. doing comedy versus acting, it, acting would be a tiny sliver. Do you remember when I had the comedy magazine? Were yeah. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, it drove me crazy because I did the magazine because I loved doing stand up mm-hmm. and I wanted to write and. Uh, no one would publish me because I was so new in comedy, really. Sure. But I just was like frustrated, and I saw the movie American Splendor, and I got inspired that Harvey Pekar like just put his own thing out and didn't wait for anybody else. Yeah. So I'm like, let me put out a thing, and I realized I don't have enough writing to fill a whole book, so I'll ask other comedian buddies to write. And I thought that's the kind of cool stand-up thing to do. Yeah. As soon as I start putting it out, they go, 
oh, he's he's a magazine guy. He's not a comedian. He's an entrepreneur. You're know, so go, weird. Is it? Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. Because it takes so long. People don't realize how long it takes to build a stand-up career. Yeah. Just to do stand-up. You have to do other things. You have to. To supplement your income. Yeah. Whether it be a waiter, but also whether it be... If you're doing something that you're passionate about that isn't stand-up, people are immediately like, well, you do that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because stand-up is so accessible. It's so accessible that there's people that don't realize that you can be totally committed to stand-up comedy and do something else Yeah, for a little bit. I love that Bill Burr and Patton Oswalt and other people act and you see them do character acting yeah. and real acting. And you're like, these guys are great. And then they're back to being the fucking best comics working. Yeah. So what is that? Why is it at the highest level it's not like that? But at our level where it's where it where it starts to happen, that's yeah. where it's like that. Doesn't it seem like it should be up there, not down here? <laughs> like shouldn't it be like the guys that are in movies and you're like, oh, you're in movies now, not like, oh, you're doing a sketch show on YouTube with your friend. Mm-hmm. You're an actor. You're like, what? Yeah, yeah. That, that was that was was weird to me. Like, why is that? Why is it when the big dogs do it, it's not a problem, but when we do it, it's like, oh, you're an act, you're acting. You're an actor. I used to get that all the time with uh la when i was coming up and i finally started doing spots in the city everyone would be like when are you moving to la i was like never i don't want to live there yeah but people wouldn't listen to that they'd be like oh well you're you have to move there and you're like no i don't i can find jobs in new york city i love living in new york city yeah that's where i want to live i like the east coast i like the vibe of it i like the way it flows i'll go to la sometimes but i always thought that was weird when people would kind of push that on you yeah like when you move to la and you're like I don't know fucking never well for me it was it was leaving home yeah and uh, i needed to do it and i like la i really gr- i've grown to like it was a there lot. a moment where you're like let me just fucking get out of here yeah when i first got there i was i felt so out of place I actually talked to marin about it on the phone and he helped me a lot and uh i was like I was having a panic attack. I'm like, I really messed up, man. I should have yeah. never left New York. I'm never gonna be able. I'm never gonna be able to get back in. I'll never have the money to be able to afford an apartment. Yeah. I left a rent-controlled apartment, and he was like, just like, slow down. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, listen. You have your whole life. Don't worry. You're here now. Be here now. And if you want to go back, you'll go back. Yeah. And I don't know why I needed him to tell me that, but it was really nice of him to take the time on the phone because and talk me through it. you just need an yeah. objective opinion to be yeah. like, of someone to be like, hey, yeah, you're you're fine. Yeah. Chill out. Yeah. Because you look at a guy like Marin. When I first moved to New York, Marin was working at Air America. He was living in Astoria. I remember, yeah. And I, I would kind of meet him a couple times. I'd say hello to him. When Eastville opened, I would, you know, that's where I would MC. So I'd see him there. Yeah. And then he just like left, like Air America folded. Mm-hmm. I remember that because I was working in radio and then he like left. And then he make, goes and makes the biggest thing, one of the biggest contributions to comedy ever. Yeah. Which is what the fuck. And you're like, that's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Because you see that, like to be there at that moment where maybe someone was at your moment in LA where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? And then you're like, oh, somebody stick around. And then things happen. Yeah. Just because you stuck around. Showing up. There's been, there were so many nights I remember being an open micer and just being at my apartment after my like waiting table shift and being like, man, I would love to stay in tonight and watch Monday Night Football. I'd have a lot of fun to stay in and watch Monday Night Football. And I was like, nope, get up, go to that pit, open mic, go yeah. to the fucking, you know, 
Luna Lounge, go somewhere where you just don't want to go. It's that same gym thing. Yeah, go you, to Ochi's yeah, and yeah. just sit there and sign up and not get picked. Mm-hmm. But you'd have a couple of beers, smoke a cigarette, have yeah. a conversation with Sam Morrill, who's an NYU student. Yeah. You know, uh, we're just like sitting there talking. Ochi's, man. Yeah. I, I used to have a show at Ochi's. I yeah, there's like yeah. so many great comics that are working now. Yeah. We're putting their names in that bucket. Yeah. Sean Patton, who's my flatmate. Uh, but we were talking about one of the first open mics at the Creek in the Cave, Kingdom of Heaven, and like that lineup. And you're like, if you took that lineup, it's, it was like Kumail, Rory Scoville, Jesse Pop, Sean Patton, Vince Averill. There was just like a bunch of people where you're like, Mark Norman, Joe List, me. Yeah. There's all these people where you're like, holy shit, that was one open mic. Yeah. That was one fucking... <laughs> yeah. Like, if you found that sign-up sheet, you'd be like, these are all people that are working now. Yeah, yeah. And it is kind of cool. That's what I really liked about New York was the communal sense of comedy. Because it felt like in Tucson it was so small. But then New York, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. There's a bunch of great comics. Uh, yeah. You don't get that in LA. Yeah. It's like an endless hang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. New York, you can, you if, if you are a comedian in New York and you are lonely, you can go find a club where there's people you know and hang out till four in the morning. Someone will go yeah. with you to a diner. Yeah. And talk, which is, I've always loved. I love that. And I love going to New York and doing that. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, There's something fun about having a cup of coffee at fucking one in the morning with yeah. two people that you never see. Ever. And you're yeah. just trashing someone else. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or you're just like talking about, uh, yeah, it's like someone who died. <laughs> it's like, it's usually that. But yeah, man, I love it. How'd you wind up working at K-Rock when you got to New York? Well, I worked at KFMA in Tucson, which was like... Um, Best way to describe it, I've heard it described before, is like a farm team for K-Rock, for K-R-O-Q in L.A. Uh But then K-Rock, which is WXRK, in New York. When I moved to New York, I knew a guy named Robert Cross who worked at Sirius, and he was the former operations manager of K-Rock, and he worked with Stern, and Stern took him to Sirius when Stern went. Yeah. And um, he came from KFMA. So... uh, my program director at KFMA set up a email exchange. And then when I moved to New York, he was like, Hey, come to Sirius. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to Sirius and he, t- he gave me the tour of Sirius, uh, which is crazy that Jay and I have had a show there for four years. And I remember like walking around in my Queens of the stone age shirt, just like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. But he was like, we're having a hiring freeze. We can't hire you. And also we don't have any money. So we wouldn't be able to pay you a lot. And I was like, okay, but then I got an email. I get. I left him my on-air tape. Yeah. My demo tape or whatever. And then like two days later, I get a call from Danny, and she was the music director of Free FM. Mm-hmm. And this is when Free FM had Opie and Anthony, Radio Chick, Nick DiPaolo, JV and Elvis, mm-hmm. and someone else. But she was like, hey, listen, she called me up. She had me come in. Uh, and I realized it was the old K-Rock. It was the old K-Rock office. Yeah. She's like, listen, we used to be K-Rock. We're talk. Since Stern left, we turned talk, but we still do K-Rock on the weekends. We do mm. rock music on the weekends. And I was like, all right. And I, I was coming from an alternative rock station. So she was like, do you want to audition for, like on air? We need like overnight shifts. And I'd done overnights before. So I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. New York City, number one market. Absolutely. So I did her shift on a Sunday. And after the shift, she was like, 
she let me do the full shift. I was only supposed yeah. to do an hour. And then she came in, she's like, you want to do all four? And I yeah. was like, yeah, I'll do the whole, just to learn the computer or whatever, right. learn how to operate the board. And uh, then she brought me back in the next day and she's like, we want to offer you a job. And I remember wow. being like, I was getting $10 an hour in Tucson. And I was like, if they give me, they have to give me $13 an hour. I remember yeah. thinking that. Like, yeah. I was living on my friend's couch. Uh-huh. When I moved to New York, I lived in Hoboken on a couch from my buddy that I knew from Tucson. And I was like, I need to get an apartment. So $13 an hour might help because I was waiting tables too. Yeah. She's like, we're rate, we're union. Uh-huh. We're AFTRA. So we're union. Um, so you get $268 a shift, which was $66 an hour. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, I, and I, I remember like, finding that out and being like i'll work as many shifts as you want she's like yeah. okay okay and i was like oh, how many shifts do you want me to work i, I can come in and okay okay so Talk i became i became the guy where if a dj called out she would call me and i'd come in right and i because i needed money and that's how i got my apartment that i still live in that's right we were both working overnight shifts when i met you i was working yeah. the overnight shift at wmca and we were both radio guys yeah i think we bonded on that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i was doing like midnight to six and okay. then i would do on sundays i would do six to noon yeah i had midnight to five yeah 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 i remember that us talking about that yeah and i it was just like a cool job and i got to you know sit in the howard stern studio oh that's so cool that board oh man like at the board he was that he that is designed and it was like wow it was it was a really cool experience and then i got fired and um go on that sucked getting fired but again you got fired we all got fired. everybody gets fired in radio everyone gets fired you always get fired in radio yeah but they they did a uh they did a format change and they went from being rock to 92.3 now which Uh was like pop and i got to board up four shifts for for on-air money which was crucial for me because i had no money yeah and so i got i remember doing that and i remember watching south park in the howard stern studio and i had the tv volume through the board uh-huh. so it was coming through the speakers uh-huh. and uh the new music director of the 92.3 now was like this really corny guy from tampa uh-huh. and he was like hey, what's going on man what are you doing and i remember i was eating a subway sandwich and i was like oh, i'm watching south park and yeah. i had long hair or whatever and he was like what and I was like, yeah i'm watching south park and i'm eating my sandwich and he goes you're supposed to be monitoring the station. <laughs> and I just looked at the dial, you know, to see how much the gauge. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, we're good. <laughs> and he was like, I, aghast. He was just like blown away. And he was like, this is why K-Rock didn't work out. And I was like, all right, dude. Uh-huh. I think that was like one of my last shifts there. Yeah. But then, man, just like anything, I was terrified. I was like, I have to go wait tables. Yeah. I'm done in radio. I'm yeah. done. I gave up radio. I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to be a comedian. And it took me... That was, it took me like two more years of just waiting tables and doing stand-up before I was able to get out of waiting tables. I was so worried about, yeah. will I be able to have a job again? And instead it was like, it, it led me to be a comic. Right. And then through being a comic, I got to do the serious show with Big J. Yeah. So it was like, I'm back on radio and it, it's like, it's, it's nice because it's like showing back up and you're like, I don't give a fuck about any of your dumb games. Are you going to let me talk on air or not? You're yeah. Like, yeah, go for it. And like, cool. And it's just been a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah, I got fired for bringing Lisa Lampanelli on during religious programming. That's hilarious. And uh, she was horrible to me. She was horrible. And I was I was trying to, I needed that job, same as you. I didn't want to sure. lose it. Yeah. 
And I kept like going to commercial break. I'm like, can you stop saying those? She broke like three FCC violations. She didn't care. She wanted to like use it as a yeah. way. To, she wasn't well known at all. She, so she was trying to she was trying to get like a viral. It was before was, viral things, right. but she was trying to get viral. She, she wasn't even a headliner yet. Really? She, yeah. She had her first gig at Caroline's coming up. That's what she wanted to promote. That is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy that you were there being like, hey, Lisa, be cool. Yeah. And, be cool. And she was like, no, I'm going to be the shocking person. She, But she kept being like, no, we're good. I, I'm sorry about that. And then she'd come back and she sabotaged me. She that sabotaged sucks. me. That really sucks. But anyway, whatever. All right. Well, it worked out well for both of us because thank God we're not still doing overnight shifts. You know? Now we're just doing 26 days of shows in a row. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now we're just doing those overnight shifts of comedy. I feel pretty warmed up and ready for this uh, philosophy. How about you? Yeah, let's do it, dude. Hey, before we continue on with the episode and get into the philosophy, I got to tell you about a fantastic sponsor that's with us now, BetterHelp. You're like, BetterHelp? I didn't even have any help to begin. Well, what is this BetterHelp? Well, BetterHelp is better than no help, and it's better than a lot of help. It's BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. They've got licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, anxiety, stress, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem and everything you share is strictly confidential. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason at all, you could request that BetterHelp will shoot them with a laser. No, that's not in the um, ad text. Probably they won't do that. But you can request a new therapist at any time for no additional fee. And that's a big deal. I remember when I was in therapy once and I had a therapist I didn't like, it was like nerve-wracking to break up with that therapist this is so much better. You're not even there with them face-to-face. -face. If it's not working out, it's so simple. You just go to the platform, ask for a different one, boom, you got it. 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists in all 50 states. This service is available worldwide. Four communication modes. You can text, chat, phone, and video. Start communicating in under 24 hours, and it's available on desktop, mobile, web, Android, and iOS apps. Schedule video and phone sessions generally weekly, unless your therapist schedules more with you. They offer broad expertise in the network, which may not even be available in your area. Lots of local areas don't have this. Now it's at your fingertips in the palm of your hand. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. It's secure, it's convenient, it's professional, and yes, it is affordable. This is not a crisis line. This is actual therapy that you can afford. And I mean affordable. Even more so for my listeners, because they're offering Modern Day Philosophers listeners 10% off your first month with discount code MDP. That's 10% off on your first month with discount code MDP. It's really worth trying it. I know so many people can benefit from this, so give it a shot. Why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com MDP. Simply fill out the questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor that you're going to love. That's betterhelp.com slash MDP. Can't stress enough how important this is and what a great platform BetterHelp is. Check them out. All right, let's get back to my talk with Dan Soder. 
Did you have the listeners pick the philosopher? No. So do you know Alex Fasella? Yeah. Yeah, he picks the philosophers. Alex Fasella, and I did my first open mic in New York with Alex Fasella. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. He's shout a, out to Alex. Shout out to Alex, baby. He's been uh, with me since the beginning of the show. He's the shit. Yeah. He, he's awesome. He's yeah. always really cool. He was like a NYU student when I met him Yeah. in like 07. He always feels like a student to me. He's got that yeah. eternal youth to he, him. He does you know? have eternal youth to him, but yeah. what a guy. That's, yeah. yeah. He's awesome. He's my buddy, and he's... um. He's a, a philosophy mastermind. I'm trying to grow a beard. Yeah. I've never grown a beard. Ever. Well, it's one of the easiest things you could do. All you do is it's not, not do anything. It's not easy. It's it itches. Oh. I want to shave my face and have a smooth baby face. Yeah, you'll get past that. It stops itching once you hit a certain point. Is it? Yeah. About like two and a half weeks. Give it another week. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> then we'll be back in hot New York. Yeah. So what's, why, why, why now with the beard? Because I figure, why not? I'm in Scotland. Let it roll. When in Scotland, bearded up. Yeah, bearded up, dude. This is no, what an appropriate place to. It's like when white girls go on vacation and get their hair braided. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just like appropriating the culture. Yeah. Here we have it. Yes. Internet in this country, not great. See? American efficiency, dog. Yeah. Actually, what's, what I'm worried about is in uh, Astoria, there's all these signs up like don't let 5g into the neighborhood and then i started reading about 5g and i'm super nervous about it why what's, what, they, what's wrong they tested it in china and it's just like scrambling people's brain waves and fucking them up but that's in china they yeah, didn't do it properly yeah, yeah. in they china american wi-fi <laughs> you got american wi-fi you bro. know they cheaped out in china they don't care about they people in china cutting fucking corners bro <laughs> Oh, man. Maybe we'll skip this until because it's taking too long to load, and we'll just go right into it. Okay. Sure. The guy that Alex picked for you is Robert Louis Stevenson. Mm-hmm. You know who that is? Mm-mm. I think he was an author. Yeah. Uh, he says, what you have in common is Dan is known for doing impressions. So I picked the philosopher of alter egos. Are you known for impressions? Am I? I don't know. I think I do voices on podcasts and shit, but okay. I don't think I'm an impression comedian. We'll, we'll run with it for today. Sure, yeah. right. <laughs> that's like one of those things where it's just so funny to talk about comedy for an hour. And then like, that's a thing as a comedian where I'm going to have to walk. When I'm walking back through the meadows, I'm like, I'm not a fucking impression comedian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wait, what a fucking rich little fucking cocksucker. I'm fucking, I said a nice thing about Facelli because I'm a fucking, hey, why don't you say I'm a fucking puppet comic, you fucking cocksucking motherfucker. Well, he did a Bill Burr impression on the show already. He already did. You know what? And, he uh, might, he's yeah. not wrong. He's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you do a good impression. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that Bill Burr you know was, was I'll take point. It. I'll take Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah, you could be an impressionist comic and not be rich little. Too, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about Robin Williams? Was he an impressionist comic? He's a voice, but Chappelle does voices. Yeah. Pryor did voices. Right. Everyone does voices. Right, yeah. You, you get caught into that like yeah. stigma of what a com- yeah. comedian's supposed to be again. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's yeah. exactly what it is. You're like, everyone does voices. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. Don't buy into the, don't buy into the bullshit, man. Fasella, you ain't getting to me. You ain't cracking this nut. <laughs> wow, this really won't load. All right, so that's that. Um, here we go. Here's a synopsis on Robert Louis Stevenson. He says, Dr. Jekyll... Oh, did he write Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Yeah, I think so. Dr. Jekyll invents a serum that transforms him into Mr. Hyde, the personification of Jekyll's dark side. This lets him indulge his darkest desires for vice and crime without taking responsibility. He rationalizes that it was all Hyde, not Jekyll. And therefore, his conscience is clean. Really, this 
only protects his reputation. Eventually, the transformation begins to happen of their own accord, and Jekyll is unable to control his double life. Jekyll's fatal mistake is thinking that he can manipulate human nature. Good and evil exist in everyone. Jekyll thinks that he can purge the bad through Hyde, making a perfect Jekyll. We must accept that we are neither truly good or evil, only capable of both. All right. Well, what did you get out of that? Anything? Make you think anything? I mean, we were just, uh, we were kind of talking about like you can't have the uh, the happy without the sad. And I think there was definitely like this, um, what's weird to think is like my Jekyll, I was Dr. Jekyll when I was drunk and my hide was when I was sober because I was hung over. Mm. So like I was more angry and upset when I was sober, when sober yeah. because I was hung over and feeling like shit. Whereas opposed to like when I was drunk, I was fun and loving and just like, what's up, buddy? Yeah. Like, Let's fucking get food tomorrow. Let's hang out. And then I would wake up the next day and be like, man, fuck, all, just fuck everything. Like, yeah. I fucking hate this So your shit. serum was to become the nice guy. Yeah, but it was like, I think I was always nice. I, I just also think when you're a nice person, I think you have a hard time setting up boundaries with people. Yeah. And so I just really didn't set boundaries for a long time. And I think it really affected me and it made me more angry. It's something that I struggled with and I still do. Yeah. I mean, I think it's not a thing you can master because there, there are times where you just kind of have to put yourself in this uncomfortable position where you're kind of like, Hey, this is a boundary. Don't cross this boundary. Now. Now we have this thing. And I think people respect you more too when you do it. Yeah, know? they might because not they like really, it. Well, they might like it, but they they're like, oh, this person has some value to himself. Yes, you know, or herself. yes. And I think yeah. that's kind of what I took from that is like uh, when you try to not have boundaries and think you can manipulate that and kind of just learn your way to be like, I'm just going to be all this and none of this. Mm-hmm. That's not what life is. It's and a mixture of both. It also goes back to our conversation about like all comedian. Like when yeah. I had the magazine and yeah, people be like. He's an entrepreneur, which is an, somehow an insult in the comedy world. <laughs> How is that? It's one of the greatest compliments you can give anybody. And you're like, oh, what the fuck? But, they're, like that, but like, you know what they're calling you. They're calling you a fucking capitalist pig, man. They're but, like, this guy's not an artist. He's yeah, a businessman. You know? Yeah. And look and, what they just said. Yeah. Look, look how I just took that as, as yeah. them being like, oh, he's great at impressions. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not myself? Yeah. Or I'm not yeah. authentic? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, don't stop. That's, yeah, yeah. It, it comes from the same place where it's like all comedian. You have to be... Unless you're heralded as the greatest of all time and the most original, you're like, well, then what? what's wrong with it? Yeah. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. But yeah, I think yeah. trying Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll is trying to just be the pure comic. He's trying to be Stanhope right. and Hyde as like his, his Carnival Cruise Line comedian. Where he's like, I'm doing whatever gets the biggest laugh. And you realize right. like, you got to be both. Man. <laughs> you got to stay original. But also this, part of this job is to make people laugh part of it yeah Yeah, it's a big part of it it's a big part of it but i'm saying there are people that just try to do that full artistic side and they're like i don't care if people laugh that's not what it's about i know i know you can't do one or the other more so now than ever sure i um want to take it back for a second to our conversation on appreciation and i'll tell you this you know i don't need to tell you that i'm not a well-known guy in the comedy world yeah uh and that used to really bother me for a long time because i worked so hard at it for so long yeah and then I reframed it and I started looking at just appreciating what I have in life. I've got an amazing wife. I love where I live. I love doing comedy. Yeah. And something about the fact that no one expects anything from me has sort of freed me 
to from any insecurities of what I do. It's like it, it. What it also it makes you better not only as a person because you're appreciating the things that you are holding on to. Yeah. It's always like, you know, what's that old saying? A, a bird in hand is better than two in the bush. Mm-hmm. And it's like, because you, you, when you look down at it and you're like, oh, fuck, I got this. Yeah. Dude, it drove me nuts. And, and I understand exactly what you're saying. And I think everyone who learns how to appreciate things can understand it no matter what level they're on or where they're at. If you learn how to appreciate what you actually have, yeah. more comes. Yes. Yes. I think you're right. Because it's like, the more you stress something, have you ever seen someone, in, and I, I'm sure you have because I've seen it a lot, you've seen someone in this business stress something. They're like, I need this to happen. Yeah. And then it gets there and it's not what they wanted nor expected. And now they've burnt all this thing around them <laughs> to get to that one thing. And you see it happen to people and you're like, yeah. fuck, dude, you should have just had fun and you might have naturally ended up there. Yeah. You might have naturally just floated to that. People think certain things are going to fulfill them and then when they They're realize not. it's... And it's, listen, I'm guilty of it. It's got to come from within. Are you? Yeah. I'm guilty of thinking that if I meet the right woman, it'll fix me. If I get the right job, it'll fix me. If I fucking go on the right vacation, it'll fix me. But really what it is, is it's like the more I do the small work, the meditating, the therapy, the going to gym. Yeah coming comfortable with myself praying mm-hmm. there's stuff where you realize it's like oh i got everything yeah all the tools are here yeah now just let me make something nice yeah yeah that's it that's it that's really it and all those things i think i think it, they do help i mean me having kylie in my life that made me such a better person i don't think that i can't say she fixed me sure but i could say that like she was such an assist. And I'm thinking as your list, you're like going on that vacation. I went to Hawaii. <laughs> it yeah. chilled me out so much. Yeah. None of these things do the trick. None of these things make you different. But when you're in a good place and you can accept them. Yes. And, and you can, and you, and you have an open mind to things and you're malleable in, in, in who you are uh, ready to change for the better. All these things are assists, you know, assi- and assists is a perfect way to say it. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, I'm getting ready to film a special in October, and and I'm very uh, motivated mm-hmm. to do a very good job on my special because I feel like my specials before either weren't seen or I could have put a little more effort into it. And so I signed up to do Fringe and and go away from the bonfire. I had to ask Jay to take, you know, if is it cool if I take four weeks off, mm-hmm. which he was more than, you know, he was awesome about yeah so is the whole crew letting me come out here and i think there there's been moments in ways where i was approaching this wrong where i'm like i'm not at home i'm on the road it's half selling this fucking right. what the fuck and then yeah. i'm like ta, 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 ta. those are brief moments because right. i'm like dude you get to live in scotland for a month yeah you get to do your hour every night yeah and by the way it's kind of cool that it's half full because now you can kind of fuck around and you, it's not, you, you don't have to suck your own dick about like, I got five, five star reviews and right. I sold out my entire run. It's like, no, man, you guys get to hear me work this bit yeah, over and over until I go back to the States and people are going to be like, where the fuck did that joke come from? Right. Like, I've been, I've been up on, I've been on a wet island for a month <laughs> working, you know, wet but it's island. like, but when you think yeah. about that, it's like the appreciation, like I get to, I'm, I'm having a wonderful conversation with you, a guy I've yeah. known since george w bush was in office (laughs) and we're having a great conversation in your flat in scotland it's like i'm gonna have a lovely walk home i'm gonna be lovely walk lovely walk (laughs) i'm gonna be a fucking lovely walk and i'm gonna be able to have lunch 
and write and write jokes yeah. and like have this life where it's like, dude, if fourteen year old me who's thinking about blowing his fucking brains out, mm-hmm. like thinks like a oh, thirty six year old me is going to be doing. Everything I want. I could smoke weed in the middle of the day. Yeah. I could buy an album on iTunes. I could fucking walk buy it. an album on iTunes. But that to me is like it's small <laughs> shit like that that I remember not having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That now I, I don't think I've ever lost the appreciation for. It's like, dude, man, if I can, I'm stressed about finding a new ending for my closer. Mm-hmm. What a great, great thing to be stressed problem about. Yeah, yeah. What a great fucking problem. Yeah. And it's like you, but that doesn't stop the moments of me at home. Two nights ago in my kitchen, my flat kitchen, uh, watching Bill Burr's Why Do I Do This, wanting to quit comedy. Yeah. Wanting to legitimately be like, why do I do this? <laughs> like, it's the same as special, but I'm also like yeah. sitting there like, this is the greatest, like, I watched Elephant in you the You got room. philosophical with it. You really <laughs> Why do I do this? Yeah. Why do, is that, was that a fucking veiled threat? But it is, <laughs> like, I watched Patrice Elephant in the Room and you just watch the way he starts and how natural it is. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'll never be that funny. I'll never, ever be that funny. But that is good to have that thought mm-hmm. because then it, it makes me appreciate, oh, well, I still get to do this festival. I get to do a f- special. I get to do my hour of comedy. Yeah. Fuck it. You got to go up to go down, and you got to go down to go up. That's it's, it's just hundred percent uh, true. It's just it's just what it is, and 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 if you can be comfortable in both in the in the valleys and in the peaks, yeah. If you learn how to breathe, man, just be a fucking Sherpa. It's like people say to me while I'm here. Other comics are like, "Oh man, Fringe, oh you're gonna, you know, one 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 girl who uh, shares a dressing room. You know, there's several comics in the dressing sure. room. She said to me, she's like. You know, I feel like all the other comedians here are really feeling the fringe, but you're like feeling the fringe, you yeah. know? And you're like, what? And, and I was just like, well, this is all I want to do. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm, I love it. I don't really get burned out by it. I get energized by it. it I, I don't. There's I have, something crazy about it because yeah. I remember everyone being like, "You're going to do an hour every night," and then you're in it. And we're a week away. I think we're like nine. We have 10 shows left. Yeah. And like, there's this thing where you're kind of like, I love it. And I want it to stop. I love it. But I'm, I'm going to have weird, I'm going to have a weird feeling when I go back to New York and have to do 15 minutes. Yeah. That's what two- I'm saying. I don't like, yeah. it spoils me. I'm like, this is, I don't understand when people are, are complaining about this because this is all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, give, give me an hour a day for the rest of the year. I'd be very happy with that. I, I could keep getting better. Sure. And, and it's, that's what it's about. It's not about the audience size. It's not about the reviews. Oh, that's great. If you get it wonderful wonderful it's not necessary though but it's about it's for you yeah it's only about you and the and the work you're doing and, and making it better every day and there is like a there's a great feeling of like having a show that maybe wasn't perfect but you get off and you're like ah, it's coming along yeah and we get derailed we i mean it's just sure. normal you know otherwise you're totally delusional if you live sure. in this blissful reality where like you know i actually talk about this in my show where i I have this piece where I'm talking about like how I started reframing negative thoughts in my head yeah. to, to positive thoughts. And I said, like, you could take it too far and you lose track of reality where you're like, man, I got so much natural light where I'm living. You're like, dude, you're homeless. You know? <laughs> like, it's like you, you, there has to be a line where you're like, okay, fine. You have I'm, to have boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, like we were talking about, you have to have boundaries, right. but you also, you have to 
be able to be like, man, these boundaries are pretty sweet. You have to be able to appreciate those boundaries. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. But don't don't become complacent, yeah. but also don't be, be unappreciative. It's a totally. it's a fine line. Yeah. I'm gonna try and look up this that it won't load on here on, on my phone because it, it would be a shame not to have this part of the show. Sure. Um, um here we go. So I'll tell you a little bit about Robert Louis Stevenson, our guy, mm-hmm. your guy. Yeah. He was born November 13th, 1850, and he lived till December 3rd, 1894. All right. So he was 54. Wow. 44. He's 44 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's not tough math, but I still got impressed. Yeah. He was a Scottish novelist. Man, perfect for where we are. Scottish. Yay. And a travel writer, most noted for Treasure Island, Kidnapped, Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and A Child's Garden of versus well, i mean treasure island and dr jekyll and mr hyde two classics yeah and then two real duds yeah. <laughs> hey, you. um he was born and educated in edinburgh damn all right good job oh, Stella. nice job man stevenson suffered from serious bronchial trouble for much of his life but continued to write prolifically and travel widely in defiance of his poor health as a young man he mixed in london Literary circles receiving encouragement from Andrew Lang, Edmund Goss, uh, other people I don't know, the last of whom may have provided the model for Long John Silver, that was W.E. Henley, in Treasure Island. Stevenson spent several years in search of a location suited to his health before finally settling in Samoa, where he died. A celebrity in his lifetime, Stevenson attracted a more negative critical response for much of the 20th century Though his reputation has been largely restored, he's currently ranked as the 26th most translated author in the world. Whoa. There you go. So that's a little bit about him. Yeah. And now we have a paragraph that he wrote in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that I'll ask you to read right here. It says, Jekyll describes the relief he feels in his transformation. The most racking pain succeeded, a grinding in the bones, deadly nausea and a horror of the spirit that cannot be exceeded at the horror of birth or death. There was something strange in my sensations, something indescribably sweet. I felt younger, lighter, happier in my body. Within I was a conscious of a heady recklessness, an unknown but innocent freedom of the soul. I knew myself. At the first breath of this new life, to be tenfold more wicked, sold a slave to my original evil, and the thought in that moment Delighted me like wine. Ooh. All right. Yeah, I guess it's a, a moment of him just embracing his darkness. Yeah. Give yeah. into the dark. As we're talking about embracing the light, I guess. Yeah, this guy's going <laughs> fucking reverse. Yeah, I, I don't know what else I got out of that except... He's that, just an excellent writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, Man, one quote, though. Uh, good. There's These quotes are great. Oh, we're not up to the quotes yet. Okay. Sorry. We're still on the paragraph. I'm yeah, the paragraph to... is more, it's just a very, uh, you know, it, I think it's it's one of those things where you, the way he's describing liking the feeling of Mr. Hyde is like the feeling of like um, when you give in to a temptation or you give in to a, a thing that you kind of, you think in your head, you're like, I shouldn't do this. And then you do it and you're like, fuck, that feels good. But the key is to not get lost in that. Yeah. The key is to know that that's there and you can access it. Right. But then it's always, I think the more powerful move is 
to resist it to not to resist to understand it to understand why you're doing that and maybe right you know yeah i agree with you 100 percent. like it's it, it to, to act like it's not there is foolish but to act like you need to do it is also foolish so you just kind of know it's there and yeah i don't know a lot of the time once you start to understand it you can dissect it and then and then you and then it disappears yeah it does it's like it's like anything it's like loneliness it's like something that you feel where you're like well i need a quick solution to this it's like maybe not a solution maybe just understanding that it's there and like like i said sitting with yourself for me it was low self-esteem like i would get lost in low self-esteem for years and it was almost a drug yeah and uh and it was like it's just who i am it's part of who i am i i i and then one day I'm like, well, you know, through therapy and all that, I said, wait a minute, you know, I don't know if I have to have low self-esteem for my whole life. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's such a great way to go through life. I don't like, yeah. I don't like feeling like this, you know, yeah. I don't like being down on myself. And, and, uh, and so like, as I was able to figure out where the low self-esteem was coming from, I was able to break it apart and eventually dissolve it to the point where I was like, no, I'm pretty. I'm pretty good with me. I like yeah. me. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you realize you're like, oh, and, and I'm not a worse person for having any self esteem. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like a weird thing, kind of what we were talking about with boundaries, where it, where it's like, um, I've learned through therapy that because I was so lonely that I don't have to accept anybody for everything. If mm-hmm. that makes any sense, I can kind of be like, no, I am particular, and I want something right specific. And if yeah. I don't, you know, I had a, I was in a relationship for two years where. We got along really well, but I don't think our senses of humor were similar. And I was just kind of like, well, that's something that this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, no, no, I need that. I need someone to laugh with. That's very, very important to me. Yeah. So this relationship doesn't work. Right. And while it caused that pain, it was, a, it was a boundary I was putting up with myself. I was like, no, I want this thing in a partner. Right. And I can't go without that thing in a partner. And, but I, I think low self-esteem will have you look at that and be like, well, who the fuck are you? yeah to say that yeah like i'm me you're lucky to even have this exactly yeah that and that was a lot of my life was thinking that like you're fucking lucky to have this but then when you turn it into appreciation you're like no i know and i love it but i want something more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then it's not bad yeah because you're kind of like no i i I think this should be better and i deserve better than that yeah and i even feel it like i i've gone out a few times to the industry bars here and sometimes people uh uh, are very dismissive with me because you know I, I'm sure. not a well-known person or whatever, and uh, and that used to really hurt me. Sure. And 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 I f- I felt this great moment of growth here this year where I was just like, eh, yeah, <laughs> whatever, you know. You know what's weird is I I think I was so thirsty for um, for that kind of approval, you know, especially when I was younger in comedy, and I wanted the industry to be like this guy's so great that uh-huh. I. I don't think I've been to an industry bar in like five nights because I just go home and watch comedy on YouTube and eat cereal. Uh-huh. And it's the best. Yeah. And it feels so good <laughs> just to go do shows. And like, I did that in Montreal this year. I just didn't go to the bar at the hotel. I would hang out with Jay. We'd go get food late. Yeah. You know, then I'd go up to my room. I'd smoke weed and watch. Live your life. Yeah, vines on fucking YouTube. And you go around people who don't feel good about themselves and they want to put it on you. Yeah, and it spills on you. And yeah. You end up feeling like shit. And you're like, yeah. I, I don't want to have to impress some guy that I, that's not my life. Yeah. You, you look at this person and go, who is this person I'm trying to impress? Look, yeah. Look at them. And then you, you know? realize if you just do your thing, someone will see it. And yeah. And they'll reach out to you and be like, hey, can we meet? The and good like, people come to you. Yeah. 
I think that's totally true. I wonder if Robert Louis Stevenson had to go through a lot of this stuff himself to well, be able to write like, that. Yeah, it sounds like he did. It sounds like with the bronchial, like with like a chronic bronchial problem, and he it, it sounded like his problem was finding out just where to be comfortable. Because mm-hmm. you know he was like a great writer, but he had this. You know, you think about that kind of stuff, and there's all these, there's there's these people like they talked about. Kurt Cobain used to have really bad stomach problems, like really really bad stomach problems, or like Rene Descartes similar thing had these like very painful stomach episodes and 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 robert louis stevenson having like a problem with his bronchial and breathing and stuff and it's like well that's their kind of in a weird way cross to bear where mm-hmm. it's it's their that's their like if 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 they didn't have that maybe they don't write mm-hmm. treasure island yeah maybe you know without that kurt cobain doesn't write never mind or yeah. you know to, to be able to understand it you have to have gone through it you have to go through it and it's like you know, do I wish I have a had a dad? Yeah, of course. Do I wish I had family to call and and, and bitch about while I walk through the meadows? Sure, but I don't. Yeah, well, but then yeah. that makes me that gives me the ability to be funny and make fun of those things, and that's who I am. Yeah, so just embrace who you are. Yeah, must. I, I was thinking when I saw your show, which I really enjoyed. Um, Thanks, that it, it's, it's there's got to be some pain to talking about losing your dad every day on stage. Yeah, but what's odd is. When you've gone through that pain and you learn how to fucking redirect it, it actually becomes like a weird, odd celebration where you're kind of like... You're celebrating his life. I'm just celebrating the fact that my dad would think it was hilarious that I was making fun of him being a Jimmy Buffett fan and dying of cirrhosis. I talk about losing Ralphie May. I don't know if you know, I used to tour with him. Yeah, yeah, and Ralphie was the shit. And, and that was, uh, and I, I bet that was a very hard loss. Yeah, and it it, it takes a toll on me every night. I, I feel like there's this two sides to it where, like, one, I'm getting to celebrate him and bring him to, like, people come up to me after the show almost every day, and they're like, I've never heard of Ralphie May. I got to go on YouTube him now. And I'm like, yeah, he was hilarious. What a gift. But what a gift you've given some of those people where they're going to find out that he's got hours of killer shit. Yeah, yeah. And one person I ran into in, um, in Bristow Square there. Yeah a few days later after they'd seen my show and they're like, dude, thank you for Ralphie. I've just watched about three hours and they go, you know who he reminds me of? Bill Hicks. I was like, okay. All right. I never thought of him as Bill Hicks, but I can see it. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a truth teller. He said, he said, he's like Bill, Bill is a British guy. He's like, he's like Bill Hicks mixed with Lenny Bruce. I was like, Okay, sure. that's how you see him. Ralphie, okay. like shit, man. <laughs> you just think about Ralphie here. Ralphie's like, no, he'd be man. laughing. He'd tilt his head back. He'd yeah. do the, ah, like Bill Hicks. <laughs> Is that shoulder? I just remember the last time I saw him was in Austin, and he was yeah. he was such a fucking great guy. He was. He was a real great guy. So yeah, but I but I understand what you're saying. Is like you talk about it nightly, and there was a moment where I kind of felt guilty because my whole point is like joke around about the things that hurt you but then you really have to do that it's kind of not an existential as much as it's just a morality check where you're like am i just mocking my dead father or am i actually and i'm like no i'm that's it becomes the same thing of like no this i'm worth this and it's like no i'm telling how i got through it i'm saying how i dealt with this shit yeah i'm not mocking him i'm saying like did you know you can be insecure about having a dead dad? Like, did you know that's an insecurity? You can be jealous of kids with better dead dads? Yeah. Like, that's my whole thing because it's like, I felt like shit for a while. I didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. I didn't know how to deal with the fact that my friend's dad died in a heroic way and my dad just drank himself to death. Yeah. So there becomes all this like, 
Was I not worth him being a hero? Was I not worth him fighting? And then you're like, he's his own guy. And I'm my own guy. My dad is his own person. And as me as my own person, I'm allowed to deal with that the way that I'm going to deal with it. Which is writing about it and joking around about it. And I'm sure that it speaks to people who've gone through it in a, in a big way that I'm sure it resonates with folks and, and, and it helps people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hope it does, but I, most importantly, I hope they just fucking laugh at it. Because it's yeah. like, yo, man, what the fuck? If you laugh, like, it's like I was saying, when I fall downstairs running up the subway or I fall in New York, I always laugh because I'm like, what, what are you going to get mad? What are you going to punch the ground? Yeah. What are you going to do? Are you going to change yeah. history? You yeah. fell. Get yeah. up. Yeah. Laugh it off. It's interesting. I mean, it sounds, it sounds to me from what you're telling me is that you're being very honest to the truth of your experience with the way you wrote it. You know, it's, it's... Yeah, because I always, growing up an only child who's completely alone, you doubt your reality. You, you doubt everything in your reality. Especially when I had two parents that hated each other and I was stuck in the middle. And I was being told by my mom that my dad's this alcoholic, lying loser. And then I was with my dad and he was the shit and I loved hanging out with him. And he was so goddamn funny. Mm-hmm. And he just loved me. And we just hung out. But then he would disappear for two years. And then you're like, well, what is my reality? What the yeah. fuck is this? Yeah. Does my dad love me? Does my dad actually care? Is my mom right? Well, it turns out, much like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's a mixture of both. My mm-hmm. dad loved me, but he wasn't responsible enough to be in my life. Yeah. And my mom was angry. But that doesn't mean she didn't love my dad. She was just brokenhearted. Yeah. So it's a weird thing where like, if I can confirm my reality of like, hey, when my dad died, now I laugh about it because it because being sad does does me no good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am sad. I'm sad about it all the time, but I'm not sad constantly about it. Most of the time, I'm being funny about it. Yeah, because that's how I like to be. Yeah, that's how I like to make stuff into. But it's still a big thing to you. I mean, that's why the whole show is is called yeah, uh, Son, of, Son of a Gary. Gary. Yeah, right? Son of a Gary. Because it mean, was like it's it's monumental thing in your life, dude. I mean, uh, I have friend. I have a friend whose dad's an alcoholic, and he's very fun. He's very fun and he's still alive and my friend's an alcoholic and I'm worried that my friend is an alcoholic because he didn't watch his dad die the way I did. Cause I watched my dad die and I was like, Oh, that's the end of this. Mm-hmm. That's how this ends. You go drink and you're a party guy. You end watching your 14 year old son, watching you wither away on your mom's couch with cirrhosis. Not a good look, mm-hmm. not a good look at all. But and it also was like, what's crazy is the last time I saw my dad was uh, Thanksgiving of 97 and he was just uh, weeks away from dying. And when you die from cirrhosis, it's fucking gruesome. Your liver eats itself. It creates bile, which then pushes your stomach out so you look pregnant. You get jaundice and your your skin sinks onto your head. It's fucking horrific. And I didn't see my dad for two years before that. So he's just like dying and i'm trying to make peace of it i'm 14 i'm going through fucking puberty i got enough fucking things going on but my aunt his sister was funny the whole time with me and she was like one of my favorite people on earth she's like my second mom so when i would walk away from my dad and be super sad i would just go to my aunt and her and i could just banter and make each other laugh and it, yeah. it was like it was like a numbing cream it, yeah. like, it stopped me from going crazy because I was just like, oh, my Aunt Karen's here. I can just go laugh with her. Right. And we don't have to worry about my dad literally withering away on the couch. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd have been crawling out of your skin. Oh, I think, I think I'd be angry. I think I'd be violent. I think I would have gotten to a point where I was like, fuck the world because I was pretty close to that in yeah. general. It was a relief. It was like, oh, that, that's what you do. You just make fun of, just make fun of everything. And it's cool. It's, it doesn't stop that. 
Yeah. Making fun of it doesn't mean that that didn't happen. Making fun of it is like that happened and that's why we're doing this. Right. It's, that- it's a, it's a cause and effect. It's not, it's not a substitution. You don't laugh at stuff so you don't cry. You cry at stuff so you can laugh about it. That's what society's lost now is that people have become so sensitive. They've taken away that release of tension. That laughter yeah. has has given people because everybody's like, well, that's not something you laugh at. Fuck yeah, uh, it is, dude. Yeah, it is. That, Fuck yeah, that, that's laugh. what laughter was invented for. It's the break. That's, that's what you need it for. It's, it's the it's the fart. It's the fucking, it's the, it's the break in the body where you have gas and you're like, and you're like, oh, it might stink. It might not everyone like that, but most people are probably laugh about it. Right. And it is the thing where you're like, man, who are you to say that person's not worth the relief of laughter? I'm not allowed to, dude, you could, you could joke around about stuff that I do not find funny and I will never Mm-hmm. stop you from laughing at that because <laughs> yeah. i'm like dude if that helps you out it hel- it's a it's a yeah that's who am i to it's not a, it's humanity's coping mechanism it really is and um i think there's a market and i think there's uh money to be made in, in suppressing that right now but what's great is inevitably that will fold because it is a necessity to human life is yeah. laughter yeah so you can't even if you can make a small job off yeah. it you're not going to fucking stop it. In my show also, I, yeah. I talk about like, you know, how, how certain things we, we, I talk in this moment about how I didn't want to feel and I went to rehab. Sure. And they told me that you have to start feeling your feelings. Yeah. And I said, well, they said, guys don't want to feel their feelings. And I said, as a comedian also, I think there's another layer to not wanting to feel your feelings because that's what we do. We're deflecting constantly. Sure. And, we're, and, and then sometimes when you don't stop and feel, you wind up turning to drugs because all these feelings are there. But then the opposite side of that is, you know, if you don't laugh about it, yeah. then you build up all this tension and you have all this tension so you can turn to drugs because of that. So either way, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, fucking good luck. <laughs> yeah. But it is, I mean, I yeah. think like, dude, there, there's been moments where I've been real down and real fucking sad and laughing about it has yeah. made it. I got robbed at gunpoint in 2004 mm-hmm. when I lived with this guy and you know the guy was threatening to kill me it was probably one of the most physically traumatic things i've been through just because the dude was like i'm gonna fucking kill you Mm -hmm. and you kind of were like yeah you seem like a guy that'll fucking kill me (laughs) but then we went out to lunch yeah and i was just being funny and my friend's like how are you being funny right now And it's like how are you not Mm -hmm. how are you not you weren't the one robbed of course i'm being funny about this because i fucking have to deal with it this way I, I laughed my whole the whole time. Well, I was high at the time as well, but I laughed throughout the whole Anne Frank house, and uh, and then I felt so guilty about it for years. Actually, I was like, "Why did I laugh in the Anne Frank house?" And I realized it was just too much for me. Yeah. I just couldn't handle it. Yeah, and that's how I handled it. Yeah, and there are moments where, and, man, and I'll maybe, hear really sad news, and I'll, and I'll like there'll be a part of my brain that's like, "Are you fighting a smile?" Yeah, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm trying to escape." I don't think I should have laughed through the Anne Frank house, no. by the way. I think that was an immature move on my part, but it was the only way I could cope at the time. I pre-therapy, then, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I and just, I, well, now you know that. Yeah. And yeah. now it's a way where you can be like, oh, fuck, I would yeah. never do that. <laughs> yeah, but but sometimes if you don't have anything better, it's there. You yeah, know? that's true. All right, we're going to end the, the uh, show off with these quotes as we do. Uh, and I always ask the guests, read a quote, we'll discuss it, and then we'll move on, and there are three of them. 
So take it away, please. Uh, the quote is, I was slowly losing hold of my original and better self, becoming slowly incorporated with my second and worse. It was no longer the fear of the gallows. It was the horror of being Hyde that racked me. Yeah. I mean, he's basically saying, you know, at first it was the fear of getting caught and punished for it. But now it's the fear of becoming that person. Yeah, trapped into that reality. Yeah, yeah. where it's all okay. And you can let yourself go. And I bet it's fucking... Like those guys you used to open for at those casinos. Yeah. It's just like they never did the work and they just became Hyde. They did. You know? And, and they'd rather be comfortable being Hyde than than having to face the, the fact that they're also Jekyll, mm-hmm. Dr. Jekyll. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We got another one The here. next one is, good and evil are so close to be chained together in the soul. Man is not truly one, but truly two. Which is, I think, what we were just talking about. You need variance. You need um, contrast. Contrast is very important in life. Without contrast, we don't see sh- shadows. We don't see shapes. We don't see anything. It's like mm-hmm. shadows, key. Yeah. And uh, that's what the story, I think, is about good and evil yeah i think also the capacity for good and evil are the same capacity within a person i think if if a person is capable of great good they're also capable of great evil Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i think there's you know there's like different levels like we're talking about patrice being so funny there's some people have the capacity for some kind of greatness you know Mm -hmm. and uh whereas other people are just you know they're middle of the road kind of people and they you know they're they're not that great they're not that bad mm-hmm. you know but but i think when you look at people who have that capacity for greatness um i i, I wonder if everybody has it but some people are just so unaware that they could push maybe. i don't i don't know maybe but i i think i think the more you try to be great the more susceptible you are to being evil yes I think the more you try to stand out and be special, there's a danger in that. Mm-hmm. Because then what you're doing is you're putting yourself above others in an unnatural way. Mm-hmm. If you float to the top, you're going to float to the top. But if you crawl and fight... I always say that like... Um, I've seen people get famous fast. And um, you need a Sherpa. You need someone to be able to take you back down the mountain. And like, I think that Sherpa is like therapy and exercise and in your case, religion and other people's cases, religion. Yeah. Like I think like when you get up that mountain, yeah, you have to come back down and catch your breath sometimes. Right. And so you'll see people and especially in comedy that fight to get to the top of the mountain, but then they just want to stay on that mountain and that's where they inevitably they die. Yeah. because they're not dealing with not the fact enough of oxygen like, up there. You got to go back down and breathe, dude. Yeah. You got to go back down. So if you want to be great, take your shot at it but then also remind yourself that you have to come back down and and be with people yeah and i think that's ultimately what happened to patrice yeah is that he got too big for for his own health for, yeah yeah i, I think, mean that that's a that's a very that's a very um solid argument is that he to, he was more worried about staying on that mountain then coming back down and, and, and taking care of it. And that's something that I've loved about watching Bobby Kelly start a family and, and you know, have Max, his son, and, and watch Louis J. Gomez have his son, Max, or uh, James. And, you know, now they're friends, Max. And, and it's yeah. like, it's kind of a cool evolution to watch your friends be like, yeah, man, you guys are like good dads. 
And I think it's made you better comedians. I think it's made you better people. Yeah. And I just, I like that. I like seeing people. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm yeah. like, I'd like to, because I think I was so motivated. I want to be a good New York stand-up comedian that I mm-hmm. kind of maybe gave up some of the humanity that now I I, I am realizing I need. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. not too late. Like, it, and I don't think it is too late. Kind of like what Mark told me when I moved to LA, you still got your whole life now. Just go and do that. Yeah. You know, which is great. Which yeah. is a great and exciting thing. Sometimes you get so scared. You're like, I missed it. And it's like, no, no it's right there. It's there. Keep look, going. look to your right. You go, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, it's like when you can't find your keys, you're like, yeah. get in your hand. You're like, oh, yeah. fuck. It was, uh, <laughs> God damn it. And then, and, you, and then you embrace it and you wind up loving it. Like, I love LA now. I, yeah. I never, I thought I was, I was gasping to, for air to get back to New York. I was like panicked. And now it's like, eh, I'm good. Yeah, I like, like where it. I am. Yeah. yeah, you got two dogs, dude. Yeah, I got two dogs. Well, I had them in New York. They came uh, with. Well, but, now you're just rubbing it in. Yeah. <laughs> Last quote is, yeah. uh, I am the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sufferers also. Yeah, that's like, um, that's just that great thing of like, there's pain behind everything. Mm-hmm. And this, the second you know that you're suffering is where you start to really improve. Because if you walk around, I've seen, I know a lot of people that walk around like, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I don't need therapy. You only need therapy if you're fucking, you know, broken and you're like no dude that probably means you need therapy the most yeah because when you can admit that you're you're suffering it's i think you stop it's it's some level of self-awareness it's a higher level of self-awareness yeah um to be able to and i guess that's really what the the great thing of therapy is is it's just a moment to reflect on yourself and realize what the hell you look like to the world and who and who you are also kind of like take Take credit for the fact that you've been through stuff. Because I think, especially comedians and that what we were saying, that singular focus of like, I'm a comedian. It's like, well, I can get through this because I'll just laugh at it. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to fucking suffer. And you know what I mean? Like suffering's for fools. I make fun of stuff. And you're like, nah, dude, sit in it. Feel it. It hurts. It's okay that it hurts. It's mm-hmm. supposed to hurt. Doesn't mean you're better or worse. You know? It's part of the growth. It's the it only is. way to grow. It's how you feel growth. It's how you feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, listen, man. I feel like uh, I feel like we've both grown a lot in the time yeah. that I've uh, here. This is my, uh, you know, I like to put a f- little button on the end yeah, of it. Yeah, little tag, <laughs> little tag it up, little fucking tag it up. Yeah. Uh, no, dude. But, thanks for having me. It was. This is like. This is kind of what I love. Is like you know, this is recorded, but this is just like I walked through a lovely meadow and. Got to have a great conversation. Yeah. About, no. With someone I've known for a while. So this is just great. I appreciate it. I yeah, said, very much appreciate you taking the time out of dude, the, thanks for having everything me, to do this. And by the way, another, while we're on the words, lovely, another one. This is one that I love in Scotland. Mm-hmm. They call food beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Oh, that, I just had a beautiful sausage. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Let's bring that back. Let's bring that to the States. <laughs> I don't know. These I, might work don't... In, I might work in Queens. I just had a beautiful sandwich. Hey, maybe. I think it might work in New oh, York. Like, I don't know about LA. Careful how you import it. You don't want to wind up like that friend of yours. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we had a smashing good time. Like, shut up. Shut up. It's not, it was not my friend. That was my boundary. Right. You're non-friend. Yeah, yeah. non-friend. Fuck that dude. Well, I love you, Dan. I love you too, Danny. Thank Thanks you. for having me on, buddy. Thanks for a, doing it. That was a fun fucking talk. Yeah.
All right, that's our show, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks again to Dan Soder, and thanks to our incredible sponsors, BetterHelp, betterhelp.com forward slash MDP, and Skillshare. Go take advantage of the many great classes that they offer on Skillshare, from illustration to graphic design, photography, creative writing, animation, fine art, music production, film and video, marketing, productivity, freelance and entrepreneurship, web development, and lifestyle. Whatever it is you're looking to do, Skillshare has classes for you. Go and check them out and enjoy two months free. That's right, two months free for my listeners. And uh, that's a that's a lot of time you'll be able to tell within two months whether it's working or not for you. And I think you're going to love it. Seriously, go to Skillshare.com slash MDP. It's a learning community for the creator in all of us. Thousands of classes to choose from. Get out of the rut and stay creative. It's easier than ever. Skillshare.com. Two free months. Forward slash MDP. Skillshare.com. Forward slash MDP. Check out those platforms. There's so much great growth you can get out of both of them. Use the promo code MDP. Learn some stuff. Talk about some stuff. Become a better you. It's the 10th season of Modern Day Philosophers. It's time for all of us to take it to the next level. I am loving being a dad, as I mentioned at the top. I have so many great stories to tell about that. So much to share in this coming season. And I'm telling you, it's been wonderful. Thank you, God, for this incredible, incredible baby and for this opportunity and this stage of life. And it's bringing me so much joy. And I just want to encourage you guys all to go out there and please spread the word about Modern Day Philosophers. Tell people about it who don't know about it. Share it on your social media. Brag about how great Alex Fasella is about pairing these philosophers with these guests. Thank you, Alex, for making this show so great behind the scenes. And Logan Heftel for making this sound so great uh, with the audio. It really is um, something I'm proud of uh, that I've now years into, and I'm glad to have you guys tuning into it. I hope you enjoy it as well. And if you do, you can always donate also at moderndayphilosophers.net. I don't even want to call it donating. You can join the cause. How about that? Join the cause. Join the force. It's not a donation. It's building together. All right? Frame it however you like. We need the money over here. You know what I'm saying? I got a baby for crying out loud. Uh, you could also do something free that's nice for the show. Go on iTunes, leave five stars and a nice comment, and I will read it on the show, as I did today. You will be famous. All right. That's it. Thank you very much for tuning in. You can hear Sophie in the background. She's making some noises. She's saying, Daddy, I need you, Daddy. She doesn't sound exactly like that. It's a little bit of a Latino. Dadito. Okay. All right. Guys, I got to go. I got to go. I'm needed. I am a dad now. I am somebody needs me like they really need me. All right. Okay. Bye, everybody. See you next time. So long. Farewell. Au revoir. Shalom.